It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. All right, welcome in to Crunch Time Plays. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Plays Crunch, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Shotgun726. We have an exciting show for you today. You know our guest from ESPN, SEC Network, and also from AL.com, and she's freshly back from Cabo. She's going to talk to us here stateside, and it's a pleasure to welcome Lauren Sisler to the program today. Lauren, thanks for coming on, and hope you're doing well. Doing well, nice and refreshed, as you said, uh, back from Cabo, my uh, husband, it was an incentive trip for his company. So it's always, it's always better too, when it, um, when it's paid for, right? So it was a nice little refresher heading into 2021. Um, And uh, yeah, just a a good trip overall. And now it's back to reality, but nothing wrong with that. As we cruise into 2021, you know, um, March Madness is here and then we've got spring football well on its way. And uh, you know, everyone's trying to figure out what this new normal looks like during this uh, this crazy time that we live in. Hey, there's no doubt about that. And everybody deserves a little getaway here to start 2021 because 2020 was was rough on everybody. So we're definitely excited about our getaways here to start 2021. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into the SEC topics I got for you, I just wanted to Get your thoughts on the the Tiger Woods situation. I know we we saw the we saw the wreck last week, and uh, just hope he's doing well. And just wanted to to get your thoughts on that. And it's you know it's not just about golf at this point. It's just about his livelihood. And just do you think there's a chance that you know we're not really concerned about him playing golf at the moment? But do you think there's a possible chance that we could see him back on the course here probably next year or two? You know, it's obviously a, a tough situation and, and seeing that news come down was obviously devastating. Um, you know, anytime you see uh, someone endure that, especially everything that Tiger Woods has endured in his career, um, you know, the ups and downs, being in the spotlight, having to handle some of the the adversity that he's faced. And, you know, I'm very much a person while everyone's not perfect. I think that, uh, you know, none of us are perfect. We're all far from perfect. But Tiger Woods, I think um, really set out to become a role model for people and to, you know, use his shortcomings and maybe some of the things that happened in his personal life that became very not personal, right. Um, You know, to kind of learn lessons and take lessons and teach lessons to other people. And, you know, he's been through so much, obviously just undergoing his fifth back surgery. Uh, You know, I think that was probably the first thing that went through my mind is during the accident, you know, how much damage was done to the back that had already been repaired multiple times. Right. Um, you know, and then of course you hear about the open fracture on the leg and what that means. And so really to your point, um, Bennett, you, you, you know, you think about his livelihood, uh, and to me coming back to golf, I think is certainly at, at the forefront of the minds of many, um, you know, but for me, first and foremost, like you said, it's his overall health and well-being. but also, you know, you see pictures of him with his kids and being able to go out and play golf with his son and, you know, all the things that a, you know, a dad would want to do with his kids, you know, those are the things that you hope and pray don't get taken away from him and that he has the opportunity to, you know, do that and and live a life uh, free of pain, because obviously we know that he's had issues with the prescription drugs and, um, you know, being able to manage his pain, uh, you know, free from some of those 
um, narcotics and things that have helped him to get through it. So I think that, you know, there's definitely some big, you know, some questions that need to be answered. And I think it's going to take some time, um, you know, but it was so great to see the guys uh, wearing red for him and, and honoring him in that way. And, you know, I think that Tiger Woods, regardless of every, if he ever swings a golf club again, um, or at least, you know, in that professional setting, uh, you know, I think that he has made his name in the, in the world of golf and, and will certainly continue to do so and, and use his legacy to be such a prominent figure in the golf world. And so we can hope and pray that he makes his way back and is at least able to, you know, continue to be that to um, so many people uh, that that love love to watch him take the, you know, take the green, obviously, uh, you know, tee off on on Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And we're recording this on Monday. Just yesterday, just watching the guys out there wearing their their red and black was was just really awesome. And I know he really appreciated that. And a lot of the guys that that wanted to wear it just just couldn't for whatever reason. I know Kyle Morikawa that that won his shirt didn't arrive on time. It got stuck in the winter weather and that Adidas had made for him. But certainly Tiger and his whole family are in our thoughts and prayers and just like you said, I mean, his, his livelihood, I remember, you know, last year he did a the interview where he just said that he wants to be able to participate in his kids' lives. And I think that's really important for, for everybody to keep in mind and certainly wish the best for him and his whole family. And uh, with that, we'll move into our SEC topics and talking about Alabama specifically was the team that won the national championship this year was, I know it's hard to compare teams, but was last year Nick Saban's best team as far as, as far as talent and the team that won the national championship? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, some people will make some comparisons to obviously, you know, um, 2011, 2012, when I, I actually came into Alabama, uh, the state of Alabama and covering sports, um, you know, for the local CBS affiliate in 2011. And so kind of being around the program, starting that up and, you know, a lot of comparisons to how they match up against some of those earlier championship teams that Nick Saban produced. Uh, you know, I think it, it, you know, what's different about it. Um, you know, we're accustomed to seeing Nick Saban defensive driven teams, right? We're accustomed to seeing a team that wins on defense. I mean, I think about the game of the century, Alabama LSU in uh, Tuscaloosa, the final score was nine to six. Are you kidding me? Right. And then all of a sudden you're seeing Alabama put up these crazy numbers, you know, 50 and 60 points in a game. And you're just like, my goodness. Um, and so I think, you know, it depends on who you ask and sort of depends on as a fan, what you enjoy seeing the most. I think a lot of fans, do love to see offense. They love to see those track meets. They love to see those explosive plays that are being uh, generated. And so, you know, I think that that certainly plays into this going down as one of the greatest teams of all time. And not to mention, you know, you're talking about um, a group of guys that are sitting there uh, waiting to hear their name called as a Heisman Trophy winner, you know, and your quarterback, Mac Jones, you obviously, um, you know, have Devontae Smith and you would have had Jalen Waddle right there in the mix had he have not gotten injured. And then, of course, Najee Harris. So, you know, certainly across the board, talent wise, um, you know, certainly a tremendous team and it's going to be tough to replace. It's going to be tough to live up to those expectations. And I say this time and time again, Nick Saban literally reloads these guys and over and over and over and over again. And it's like hit the reload button, right? You just like, um, 
I mean, that's what he does. That's what he's good at. And it's not even just hitting the reload button with the players, the ones that are obviously graduating early or going off to the NFL. But we're talking about coaches as well. You know, he's constantly losing coaches and having to replace them because, you know, his coaches have success. His coaches now want to move on and be head coaches, obviously somewhere else. So Steve Sarkeesian, you know, heading off to Texas to take on a big job there. Um, You know, but Nick Saban is good at what he does. He's good at reloading. And I think in a lot of ways, it would probably get pretty boring for Nick Saban if he just was handed things every year and he didn't have that opportunity to sort of, you know, mold them into uh, this creation, like this Nick Saban creation that he uh, is so, so good at. So, um, you know, in, in a long winded answer, I would say, in my opinion, this has definitely gone down as one of the greatest teams of all time. And it's pretty cool to see because I was there, you know, these last couple of years watching the evolution of Tua Tonga-Vailoa, watching him, you know, his heroics in the national championship game a few years ago. And then obviously him becoming the, the clear front runner at the quarterback position. And a lot of people, when Mac Jones was asked to step in, when Tua went down with his hip injury, there's no way like we're going to have success. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the, the year was still tumultuous coming out of that, but then you literally flip the page and this same quarterback, Mac Jones leads you to a national championship. And is obviously a, one of the lead guys in the Heisman trophy race. And, you know, just to see the success that they had um, and the weapons he had to go to, you know, you got to give credit obviously to the weapons that he had around him, but credit to Mac Jones and just his poise and just sticking with it. Because how, let me, let me tell you this, Bennett, you, you see this. I mean, every day you're seeing top players that are legitimately, Oh, going in the transfer portal, transfer portal, transfer portal. You know, there are guys that are just jumping around and, you know, Mac Jones stuck with it. He got his time to shine. A lot of people doubted that. A lot of people said that's not happening. There's no way. And um, look where he ended up. And I think that uh, he's got a bright future in the NFL. And a lot of those guys that we're going to see, you know, on draft day, getting their names called, it's going to be a lot of fun to see, but Anxious to see what this uh, 2021 uh, Alabama team looks like. There's still a lot left on the table, a lot left, a lot of unknowns left to talk about. So we'll see what happens. Um, spring ball starting up March 19th. So we um, we have a lot of anticipation for that as well. That's an awesome point. You brought up the transfer portal and, and Mac Jones kind of sticking it out. And I wanted to ask you about him and then kind of move into Nick Saban specifically after that. But Mac Jones, I saw this morning where – um, former GM Mike Tannenbaum kind of said that he compared him to Justin Herbert in a lot of ways. And just kind of curious to your thoughts on that and what kind of comparisons do you see just from watching those two play? And what does that say about Mac Jones just sticking it out? And I know the Panthers are really high on him going into the draft. Matt Rule had him in the in the senior bowl. And just kind of talk about Mac Jones and then the comparison to Justin Herbert. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great comparison. And, you, you know, you just watch, watch Mac Jones and his poise and his demeanor. You know, we we obviously see the, them perform out on the field on game day, right? You get to see what they're capable of. We see the tangibles. We see their skill set. Um, you know, but this is a, you know, this is a guy that has a tremendous skill set. Uh, you know, someone that, like I said, he's got all the weapons around him. They make him look good. But he's got to deliver it. You know, he's got to deliver the ball. And I think that his just patience, 
his poise under pressure is tremendous. And honestly, you know, getting the opportunity to talk to him a year ago, I didn't cover any Alabama games this year, but I had last year when he was being asked to step into that role with Tua, when Tua went down. And um, actually it was the first weekend that he was going to be the starting quarterback after Tua's uh, hip injury. And, you know, just, I think I was caught off guard in some ways because I think in our perception is, you know, Tua Tonga-Vailoa owns the locker room. He's the quarterback. He, you know, this team, you just, it's almost like you pop a balloon and it bursts, right? And you feel like the wind is taken out of the sails. And, you know, this Alabama team is nothing without their quarterback, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. But it was almost just like you see this guy, Mac Jones, just kind of hanging back in the chair. We're in this, you know, conference room and he's just as chill as he can be. And, Hey, it's my time to step up. I'm going to do this thing. And I'm thinking like, you literally are about to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. You you see all these Alabama fans out here, your expectations and the standards that they hold you to are extremely high. And so just kind of getting to get to know him early on before he even went on this championship run this season, you know, was a lot of fun to kind of just get to know Mac Jones and, you know, his personality and, um, you know, he's just very calm and it, 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 it was so apparent, but then also it was apparent in that moment when I first met him in that conference room as to why his teammates rallied behind him, because the relationships aren't just built when you're the starting quarterback. And I think that's something that we forget a lot of times we as media members, we on the outside is that these players are building relationships with their teammates, whether they're the first string, second string, fourth string scout team, whatever it is. There is a brotherhood. There is a camaraderie that goes on. And so I think it's so important as a quarterback that you're building those relationships, even if you are number three or number four in line or, you know, uh, don't consider yourself to ever be have a shot at being the starting quarterback, because when your time comes, he was ready to go. The team trusted him. The team knew him. They felt that they had that. And so I think that, you know, of anything, um, when you make those comparisons to Justin Herbert, you you have to take into consideration, you know, the, the personality part of it. And I think that's one thing that I've enjoyed also t- talking to players about when they go through the draft process. You know, it's a big interview. It's a huge interview. Mac Jones showed what he's capable of doing out on the field the entire season. Now it's, okay, what, what, what do we know about Mac Jones? What are we learning about this kid, his ability, his IQ, everything that he stands for, his character, his, you know, um, how he was, he was brought up. And then, Oh, by the way, you represent the Alabama a, you know, you're coming from Alabama under a guy like Nick Saban that in essence has its own calling card, right? That, I mean, that's on your business card. That's going to take you a lot of places. And so, um, you know, I'm just excited to see what his career looks like. I really couldn't tell you where he's going to end up uh, in the draft, but I'm excited to see, um, you know, but if you asked me two years ago, Mac Jones, you know, had a shot at the NFL, I'd probably be like, uh, I don't know. And, uh, you know, now it's obvious that, um, you know, he has a real chance to, to end up somewhere good and have some significant playing time, you know, uh, at some point in time in his career. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And one of the things that I saw whenever I was looking at that this morning was th- that makes a lot of sense. Like it's a comparison to Justin Herbert, not only the way they play on the field, but their character and attitude off the field. and. Hopefully they'll yep. both hopefully they'll both have long and illustrious NFL careers and and they've Justin Herbert did a great job with the Chargers this year and wherever Matt Jones ends up, I know they're gonna that franchise is gonna get an awesome quarterback of the future there. And got a two part for you, two parter for you on Nick Saban real quick, and then we'll move to a couple other things. But 
his coaching tree is getting rather large now. And uh, we've seen a lot of the guys kind of have mixed results being head coaches. And we'll see what, what coach Sarkeesian does at Texas, but you see guys like, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and Will Muschamp not really having that much success. And then you see guys, you know, Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher and some of those guys having great success kind of following that, that Saban method that he goes by. Just what do you think, what do you think causes that uh, kind of mixed results in philosophies there and being head coaches and mixed results and winning and losing. And then realistically, how long can Nick Saban continue to coach? I know we, we joke about it. We, you know, a couple of my buddies that I talk to every day, we joke, you know, he's just going to die out there on the sideline, you know, and just realistically, how long can he coach for the tide? Yeah. I think those are both great questions. You know, the first one we'll start there and just what, gives guys that success, you know, because they are in that coaching tree. I mean, you, you look at, I mean, you even look at recent years, right? Pete Golding, um, you know, was kind of on the chopping block and a lot of people questioned, you know, and and even still now after winning a national championship, is this someone that's going to stick around under coach Saban? Is this someone that's going to get it done? And, you know, I think that, um, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, you know, some coaches have that success and a lot of it plays into the program, what they're given, how much involvement is coming from, you know, the athletics department, there's boosters, there's all that stuff behind the scenes that we don't necessarily get to hear and know about and aren't privy to, you know, so I think there are definitely some hurdles that coaches have to deal with and go through, but then also it's who they surround themselves with. So, you know, you're taking a coach and you're having to bring in your own coaching staff and trust your instincts that this person is going to get the job done. And, you know, I would say just someone that's been um, around the Alabama football program, as well as the Auburn football program, I've seen a lot of turnover at Auburn as well under head coach Gus Malzahn, who's now at UCF. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to see how sometimes coaches jive well together and some don't, especially when they are a, offensive minded coach or a defensive minded coach and sort of what that looks like in the, the whole big picture of things. And it's the chemistry of the team. And, you know, it's even sometimes the culture and I kind of go back to Mike Leach and this is sort of something that I became privy privy to. And I think, um, you know, sort of the sense that I got in covering Mississippi state this year and Mike Leach's first season is that you've got a coach that comes over from from the 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 west side if you will the west coast um you know a coach that has a very different personality and not something that necessarily fits into the SEC and you know i think there was a lot of question marks like you know what's going on here why are all these guys transferring out why is this culture at mississippi state just not adhering well it's not gelling together you know but a lot of people want to point the finger at the head coach and while i think that there is I mean, that's a big part of it in the the implementation and installation of a culture. But some of that, too, is what the culture was that was being handed off to you. So if you have players and guys that don't want to work or don't want to be told what to do or aren't really willing to adapt to what this new coach brings in, then you have a complete attitude shift. And I think that you see that a lot in in college sports, especially when you see a turnover in coaches. And so even under Coach Saban, you know, the the, the attitude that's at Alabama 
might be completely different than what the attitude is like at Tennessee and the players that you're kind of given. And so I think that there's a lot that goes into that. The whole Tennessee thing, obviously being a unique situation as someone that uh, went to Rutgers and coach Shiano was up for that job. We saw the, of that. And now I'm thankful though, because coach Shiano is back at Rutgers doing, doing things. And I think he's going to have some success there as he rebuilds that program. So I'm excited about it, but you know, it is interesting. I think that's such a great question. And one that, you know, I'd actually love to, to, to muddle in even more and give some more thought to that, um, you know, on my, I guess on my own time, the second question about how Nick Saban, um, how long is he going to coach? I don't know. What's your, your prediction. So he is, is he, I think he's 69. I don't think he's turned 70. I think he's 69. He's, I know his birthday is October 31st. Um, Halloween, because we always joke about that, but I'm pretty sure he's 69 at this point. You might have to Google that for me. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think realistically he can probably coach, and I think he would probably coach another, you know, maybe three years. I mean, I I think that once he, um, I don't know, it, it may be to a point where once he sees that the, I mean, not that probably it'll ever happen due to the the national championships and the number one recruiting classes they get just about every year. But whenever they, whenever he doesn't think that maybe they're, maybe the team's not up to his standard or something like that anymore here in the next few years, maybe he'll decide to step away then. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I I think that, you know, that's the, it's kind of like how long is he going to coach and what is going to be, the reason that he steps away, right? You know, I know that obviously health will be a big one, you know, he can maintain his health and his sharpness and his, his wit, which he is, you know, certainly got that going on for sure. I mean, he is a, a brilliant man, um, brilliant coach and, and someone that I, I enjoy listening to. And even, uh, you know, when he, when he has a message to share, you know, sometimes he gets fired up and when he has a message to share that he might share with the media, you can take a lot from that. There's a lot to learn, a lot of life lessons that he provides. And so I feel like I've learned a lot from Coach Saban in my years of, uh, you know, being um, in the media, on the media side of things. But I, I agree with you. I think that there's definitely, you know, I hate to even predict it because as soon as I say something, it's like the Alabama fans like, you know, like there's never going to be an end to it. Like he's, he's going to be around forever. Right. Um, you know, but I do think that, Nick Saban to me is the type that knows success and knows what it takes to be successful. And I think that if at any point he feels he's not able to lead his team to that success and he takes ownership of that and says, you know what, I'm not at my best. I'm, you know, faltering in whatever ways it may be, then, you know, I could see that being when he decides to say, all right, I'm hanging it up. Um, I, I feel like I've achieved what I need to achieve. Yeah, that, I, I agree with you. That's awesome stuff. And I just wanted to real quick move up the road to, to Auburn and your thoughts on uh, Brian Harson and, and the staff he's put together and the set success that he can possibly have. And are we going to are we going to see, you know, in the next couple of years, are we going to see a, a blue turf at Auburn or an orange turf? <laughs> That's the one thing uh, Auburn fans went out when we did our uh, introduction video with coach Harson and um, we, when he was announced, I should say, and I was talking to one of the beat guys uh, that's on the beat at Auburn. And that was one of the comments that came down. Oh gosh, we're getting Brian Harson. Are we going to have an orange field? Uh, that would be quite sightly on the eyes. I'll tell you. Um, 
I went to Boise three times in 2019, and uh, there's definitely, uh, as, as Co- Coach Rolovich, who was formerly with Hawaii, used to say, he said, there's a mystique about the blue field, and I got to tell my players, like, get over the mystique. Let's go out there and play football. There's definitely a mystique about it, and it was it was cool to see, and obviously, um, you know, uh, kind of watch, you know, football be played out on a unique playing service, but with that being said, you know, I like Coach Harson. I think uh, in the three opportunities I had to cover him as a coach, sit down in meetings um, one-on-one with him, it was it was very insightful. And, you know, he's a guy that demands a lot and commands a lot of respect from his players, his culture. And not that Gus Malzahn didn't, because I, I was a big fan of Gus Malzahn. And, you know, just, uh, you know, I think that what he was able to accomplish at Auburn was uh, pretty incredible, especially being able to beat Nick Saban. Uh, as many times as he did um, is a feat in and of itself. But, uh, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, programs obviously just, you know, you got to turn the page. And I think Auburn, um, you know, athletics, Auburn fans uh, wanted something new, wanted something different. And, you know, I think they're going to get that in Coach Harson. You know, he's a kind of a no blurred lines kind of guy. It is one side, like it, 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 he's a straight shooter. He's going to shoot you straight. He's not going to sugarcoat things. And, you know, I think that once he gets settled into his role, whether that's this year, um, you know, or next year in terms of his recruiting and, you know, being able to really implement that culture, uh, I think he's going to have a lot of success. And, you know, we know he's he's the the quarterback whisper, if you will, that he can develop quarterbacks. And I think that's something that Auburn really needs. I don't want to give up on Bo Nix yet. I don't think that we want to throw in the towel, but I think that this is a great opportunity for you know, Bo Nix to really learn a lot of things, develop, to grow. Um, you know, there's plenty of quarterbacks that we've seen out there that have had a tumultuous first few years. And then, you know, they flip the page and they're a completely different person their senior year. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do um, with with Bo Nix and obviously the other offensive weapons he's got around him and, you know, obviously the recruiting world. But I do think that he is someone that's going to, you know, take this job very seriously. He's going to take things to heart and he's going to build and develop a culture that I think that um, you're going to start to see, uh, you know, um, really sort of radiate out of Auburn and on the plains, uh, you know, as we get into spring football and into the fall. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think he's going to have a lot of success. And you mentioned Bo Nix. I'm really curious to see what uh, Brian Harson and obviously new offensive coordinator Mike Bobo can do with him. They both have a really solid history of of developing and training quarterbacks. And it would be interesting to see what they do with Bo Nix. And if they can – I know Gunnar Stockton, he's committed to Georgia now, but he's got some deep ties to to Mike Bobo. And he if they have a really solid year the first year, they, they might can – you know, move uh, his commitment from Georgia to Auburn. And then I wanted to ask you real quick about Gus Malzahn. I know he's he's on his way out and he's down in Orlando now at UCF. And do you what kind of success do you think you'll have down there? And I know a lot of the, you know, things, a lot of the developments in his career have been about timing. And is it possible that he can stay down there for a long time and, you know, maybe in the next couple of years, they expand the college football playoff and he's got a chance to compete for a national championship every year at UCF. Yeah, I think that's a great question and valid points that you bring up. I think timing is key and it has been key for, for Coach Malzahn. And, you know, I know that that has always been, I guess, the thought process with his contract and his contract extensions and, you know, the success that he's had. And, you know, it's been a roller coaster and, and you know, just having to 
sort of watch that roller coaster, you know, the up and down and, and just, um, you know, it's hard when you're competing in the SEC. It's hard when right across the state line or right across the state, I should say, you've got, um, you know, Alabama. And then, of course, you've got Georgia that you're constantly competing against. And, you know, um, Nick Saban just shows up, whether it's Nick Saban in the flesh or it's one of his protégés, like you said, uh, you know, you're constantly seeing that around the SEC. I think he's going to have a lot of success. I really, when that was announced, I think UCF is a great landing spot for Gus. You know, I was wondering if he might take some time off. I really didn't feel Gus was going to be the one that took some time off to really do the media circuit. You know, I didn't, I didn't really get a sense that he would, um, enjoy that and be passionate about, you know, doing a media run for a year or so before jumping back into coaching. Uh, you know, there was that part of me that thought he might go somewhere and, and be an OC and, you know, continue that route considering, um, you know, and talking to him uh, in previous years that he loves that part of the job, you know, calling plays and just really having his hands in the playbook and, and being a part of that um, and and not having to kind of play second fiddle on game day when it comes to his offensive coordinators. But I think UCF is a great place for him. I think that they have the resources to get the job done. I think he can do some serious recruiting there. Um, and, you know, I think the future is bright for them. And to your point, you know, expand the playoff and, uh, you know, maybe you get a UCF team in there um, and, you know, some, some other competition that can kind of fill in those gaps and expand things outside of this, uh, the world we live in that has pretty much been Alabama and Clemson every other year. Yeah, but I, mean, I agree. I think you'll have, I think you'll have a lot of success down there in Orlando, some great recruiting in the state of Florida and some great resources there at UCF. I, I know their fan base is really passionate and they're, they're going to get behind. Oh him yeah. He, they're going to get behind him if he starts having success and, Hopefully he'll, if the playoff does expand, I really do hope that he chooses to stick around because I think he can build a great program there. And uh, Hey, and not to mention you get the perk of being in Orlando, like season passes to Disney and uh, to Disney and Universal Studios. Nothing, nothing beats that. So hey, I mean, definitely I would, a good place. I would definitely go for that because Disney World is my absolute favorite place on earth. And so I would love to be full time in Orlando, but yeah, I don't know. I may, now that I think about it, I may get a little bit tired of Disney world after a little while. (laughs) Hey, but he's got the grandbabies too. So, you know, when he gets a chance to be grandpa, which I know is rare in the coaching world, but when he does get the opportunity, he can take the, take the the grandkids to to Disney world. So I know, I know he'll enjoy that. And obviously his, his, his dear wife, Christy Malzahn, uh, you know, always a big fan of hers as well. Um, you know, such a such a wonderful person and, you know, definitely going to miss them on the planes, but, you know, definitely excited to see their new venture and how things happen in their new chapter, as well as Coach Harson uh, at, at, at Auburn as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. They're both, uh, Coach Malzahn and Christy, they're both outstanding people from everything I've I've seen, I've read and, and just heard listening to them. They seem both like outstanding people and I know you're an expert on that and being in Alabama for as long as you've been and I wanted to spend the last few minutes with you uh, real quick talking about um, March Madness I know you mentioned that's coming up and Alabama they've captured the SEC regular season championship can Alabama realistically you know cut down the nets in Indianapolis or do you think they may be just a final four team at best I think that is a great question. You know, I think that Alabama and, you know, in some ways people question whether um, Alabama, uh, you know, 
kind of came onto the scene late because things definitely looked a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit suspect early in the season. And there were some struggles and a bit of a tumultuous uh, road there. But, you know, honestly, I think that, um, you know, Alabama under Coach Oates, I, you know, I had the opportunity to uh, meet um, Nate Oates when I guess it was when he was hired on a couple months afterwards to be able to get to know him. So we do this segment for AL.com called what drives you. And so we got to sit down and have a conversation and, you know, get to know who Nate Oates is. And of course, you know, first of all, I know he's, you know, sold himself to the hearts of the Alabama fans when he said, I, what do we talk about basketball for? I, I'm, I'm here for some football, like it, f- football seasons here. Like that's what I'm excited about, you know? So of course he, uh, I'm sure won the hearts over there, but you know, Nate Oates, I think, is a guy that really relates to the players. Um, you know, the pace of play, that was a big part of what he wanted to bring into Alabama and really crank that up. But, you know, just how he relates to the players, the culture that he is he has generated there. He gets the contract extension now through 2027, um, obviously gets an uptick there in, um, you know, his perks and in his, uh, you know, um, payment, if you will, his paycheck. Uh, you know, got a nice little bump as well. So, you know, I think that they're investing in him. I know the buyout increased as well. And so I think Alabama is investing in their future. And, you know, I think there are the skeptics out there. You know, Alabama football has been at the at the top for so many years. And here comes Alabama basketball. Uh, It's been 19 years since they clinched the SEC title. And now here they are getting to go into the SEC tournament as a one seed. what does that translate as when we talk about the SEC basketball tournament? That is a great question. Um, you know, there, there's uh, a lot of, uh, there's a long road to navigate through. And I think consistency is going to be key. Obviously, they got to finish out the regular season here with a couple more games, um, you know, as we're recording this on a Monday. But I think that they have a shot to make a run through the tournament. I think the key is going to be health for them. I think they're going to have to be healthy. They're going to have to stay healthy. And they're just going to have to have some of their best basketball. So are they peaking at the right time? I think that's the big question. And so, you know, in my opinion, I think the the answer to that question is yes. And so it's, are you peaking at the right time? And then can you sustain? Can you sustain this? Obviously stay healthy. And then ultimately, you know, kind of get things to sort of shift in your direction. You know, there's sometimes that you just go out there and unfortunately you're the ball is not rolling in your favor. But um, I think if Alabama can really play, uh, you know, play some strong games here at the end of the season, go have a dominant performance in the SEC basketball tournament. I think it definitely bodes well for them to, to make a clear run through the S, uh, uh, NCAA tournament and, um, you know, potentially be a a sweet 16 final four type team. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think, you know, there's obviously the three favorites in Gonzaga and Baylor and Michigan. Those are the three best teams, you know, and, but I, I would honestly put probably Alabama up there battling for the fourth or fifth best team. And I think if they get to the, if they can get the sweet 16 elite eight and then get to the, make their way through the final four it, it only takes two games after that when you get to the final four. And if you play your best, best basketball, and then there's no telling what can happen. And I'd be remiss if they'll spend the last couple minutes I have with you to talk about your documentary beyond the shadows, my family's journey through addiction. And just wanted to get uh, how that came about and just your, 
the way you're using your platform to to help people and you're doing some amazing work with that. And I know you're using your platform as being a sports reporter is kind of what inspired you to to do this documentary, right? Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to share that. Um, you know, this is something that's been near and dear to my heart. You know, I got into sports. Uh, I went to Rutgers. I was on gymnastics scholarship and uh, actually wanted to be a sports doctor. And then tragedy struck my world, um, lost both my parents to prescription drug overdoses unexpectedly when I was a freshman in college. And, you know, it was something I lived with for many years in shame. I lived with a lot of shame because I was ashamed of how my parents passed away. And I felt like their legacy was bound in my hands <laughs> and that, um, you know, I grew up with loving parents, parents that, you know, took care and supported my brother and I, and then this tragic thing happens to them. And, really nobody saw it coming and they were both going to a pain management doctor and unfortunately, um, you know, lost their battle with addiction. And, uh, you know, I think for, for me, it was hard to, to face the truth. It was hard to acknowledge that my parents were now no longer here, but then also to find out that it was drug overdoses because the word overdose and addiction, I just couldn't use it in the same sentence with both my parents. I, my parents aren't drug addicts. Like, my vision and how I grew up understanding what an addict was, was nothing compared to what my parents were. And I think that is the whole reason I'm here using my platform to be able to share that with people, because there is a stigma around addiction. And we've got to break that stigma and that mindset, especially as we head into 2021, the challenges have mounted for so many people, people have entered into such a dark place. And we've got to bring light to it, you know, whether it's addiction, mental health, there's so many things people are grappling with right now. And there is help and there is hope out there. And so using my story, my personal story with the documentary, like you said, Beyond the Shadows, it's a 20 minute film, um, can be found on YouTube. Uh, also, my website, laurensisler.com slash sidelines. The documentary is right there. You can click on it. Um, like I said, 20 minutes. And, you know, it just kind of goes through my family's story, the tragedy. And like you said, how I'm using sports and my platform to help other people. Cause the bottom line is everybody has a story and you, we get into this business. I think like, Oh, cool. Like covering national championships. Like this is so great. Like the confetti is falling, bring it to me. Let's go. But then what I found out later, as I started to really develop my skill set in this career field is like, Oh wait, by the way, I'm actually getting to tell people stories, these awesome, awesome stories about these athletes, these coaches, these fans that go out there and play the game, but it's more than a game. And it's, it gives you a rooting interest. You want to root for these people because you're rooting for them to succeed, not only on the field, but in life. But Oh, by the way, I can't share my own story because I'm ashamed of it. And that's when the light went off. And I said, I got to do something about this. I got to flip the script and make a difference. And here I am now trying to, um, you know, to do that and use this documentary and, you know, just some outreach efforts to, again, bring light to it, break down the stigma, encourage people to get help that need help, and also provide education and tools to um, hopefully prevent addiction and, you know, substance use disorder um, from happening in the first place. And so again, I appreciate the opportunity to share that with you guys and uh, appreciate the opportunity for joining you on your show. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and just so thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I know Lauren, you're an inspiration to so many people, not, not only with your, with your storytelling, but with your, your sports storytelling, but also with this documentary. And I had a chance to watch it the other day, whenever I was preparing for the show and it, it was just awesome to see. And if you haven't watched it, please do go to laurencessler.com slash sidelines and watch that documentary. It's really awesome. Or you can find it on YouTube, as Lauren said, 
And Lauren, you're just the inspiration to so many people and your story is incredible. And it's been an absolute treat to have you on today and definitely have to get you back before uh, football season starts up to talk more about the SEC. And then when we have a chance to, to mull over that question that we talked about earlier about Nick Saban's coaching tree, we'll talk about that as well. But tell everybody how they can find you on social media and what you got coming up. Yeah, at Lauren Sisler, you can find me Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I started using LinkedIn more recently. That was something I didn't use before, but uh, it's you know been a great networking tool. So uh, at Lauren Sisler, of course, like you said, um, my website and you know I like to do some outreach and stuff as well. So when I'm not uh, knee deep in football season, the opportunity to go out and speak at different events and whatnot and uh, you know, now things are a little bit more virtual than they were before, but Hey, that's okay. Um, but I appreciate it. And you can check it out, go to my website, com. And as far as projects coming up, obviously we're getting ready for the NFL draft. So we'll be doing some draft previews at al.com. Um, and obviously spring football. So we'll see where things line up there as we get ready to, to hopefully cover that and, um, you know, be doing that, uh, you know, um, a little bit more in depth, uh, this year, I think now that, um, you know, uh, we're start, we're starting to venture to the back end of the pandemic. So hopefully we'll get to spend some more time out on the football field this spring. Um, and yeah, life is good. And then maybe I'll get a few vacations in there. We'll see. Hey, I mean, vacation's always good. You got, got to have it. Yeah. And then also, to, also taking care of this little one, I'm waking up, waking her up from, from her nap, but say hello. Her name is Magnolia Lane. Speaking of Tiger Woods, and the Masters, that's where she got her name, Magnolia. Yeah. So Magnolia Lane, she's a little sleepy, a little sleepy right now, but hey, <laughs> she she uh, she keeps me busy. It's It's been fun having a little puppy. Oh, hey, she's hey, tired. I mean, Magnolia Lane's coming up here here next month. And, uh, I know, it'll be here soon. Certainly looking forward to that. And I've, you know, it's it's hard for me to imagine. We just had the Masters in November and now it's almost here again. I know it's crazy. You feel it feels like we're kind of double dipping a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. But hey, I'll, I'll double dip on golf any day of the week. But we'll Lauren, take it. Lauren, it's been a blast. Stay safe and well, and we'll talk see, talk to you soon. All right, YouTube Bennett. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Lauren Sisler from ESPN and AL.com, and such an, an eye opening. Um, display there at the end her talking about that documentary if you hadn't watched it please do go to laurencessler.com slash sidelines or you can search beyond the shadows my family's journey through addiction on youtube and it's only about 20 minutes so take 20 minutes out of your day and please watch that and and help support um, the causes that that lauren's standing for helping out with addictions and different things like that and getting help for that and Hope you enjoyed it and got to talk a lot of topics and just excited to get Lauren back on to, to talk more football here, here coming up. And she got the state of Alabama covered really well at AL.com and go check out AL.com as well. A lot of stuff going on there, but it's time to get out of here today. Thank you so much for checking out Crunch Time Plays. We're coming to YouTube here in the next few days. So, be on the lookout for that and follow the podcast on social media at Plays Crunch and follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Shotgun726. Did want to plug the last few uh, guests that we've had, last few episodes, and 
Those will be coming to YouTube starting with episode eight with Paige Keen for Bleacher Report and going all the way through this episode with Lauren and then from here on out on YouTube. So if, if you're a, a watcher instead of a listener, you can go on there. And if you want to see what Magnolia Lane looks like, Lauren's dog, that is a treat that you'll have to look at on YouTube. So please go check that out if you want to do that. But we got a lot of great guests coming up. We're just getting started here on Crunch Time Plays. Only 13, 14 episodes in now, and it's getting exciting. And thank you so much for your support. Keep spreading the word. That's the fastest way for us to grow. Don't forget to subscribe if you love what you heard today. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and subscribe to the YouTube channel when it comes out. And you can see that announcement on social media. And we'll look forward to talking with you next time right here on Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody. Mm -hmm.